Good morning, all. I love that song. I remember learning that song just as a wee little boy. And um, you know how many times I've sung it as an adult? It's a very special song. And the times when we feel alone, when we feel scared, it's, and, and you probably didn't know that adults could feel scared, did you? Did you ever think about that, Micaiah? Yep. And it's a very, very beautiful song. Melody, but as well, the words are so true. It's a very special song. Let's pray together. Let's do just what the song says. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning so very grateful for your wonderful goodness that you answer prayer, that you hear us, no matter where we're at, no matter what we're facing, in tears or in joy, we can come to you and share our burdens. We can pour out our hearts before you, and you hear and you answer. Lord, may we never, whether young or old, forget the privilege that we have to come to you. And may we also never forget your promises, even in the midst of the darkest and most difficult times, May we remember what you have promised and trust in your words. So we seek you now. We praise you in your blessed name. Amen. If you would please take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to 2 Kings 18. Or if you have your harmony, you can follow along with us because actually we will be going back and forth between Isaiah, 2 Chronicles, and 2 Kings. And so if you have your harmony, we're going to be beginning on page 10 in your harmony. Oh, that's not what we're supposed to, that's what I'm supposed to see, not you. Give me just a moment here to fix this. Oh, well, we'll live with that. Bear with me, my computer this morning decided that it was going to be stubborn. Actually, it decided earlier this week, too. There we go. Sorry about that. Hezekiah. We've been learning about him, haven't we? He's one interesting king. He's a fascinating king. Today, before we dive into the lesson, I need to do a wee bit of review. Because if we don't remember some things that have already happened, we won't understand what's happening today. And in fact, we might think, why that Hezekiah, he sure is a presumptuous king. But he's not, as we shall see if we look at some of the history. Let's look again here at our timeline and see where we're at. Wakey, wakey. I told you it was being stubborn this morning. We may just have to go without it. We won't let it distract us. Let's continue on. Tell me if it comes alive back there and starts going through stuff. Anyway, Hezekiah. You remember Hezekiah? He got sick, didn't he? Sick unto death. And do you remember what he did when he got sick? What did he do? He prayed to the Lord. Is that what you're going to say, Hopi? Yes, he prayed to the Lord. And what did the Lord do for him? You didn't all already forget Micaiah. What did he do? He made him better. That's right. And he gave him some promises. Does anybody remember any of those promises that he made? Yeah, Brother Ray. 
he would give him 15 more years to live. But that wasn't the only promise. That's the most famous promise. But there were some more promises. So if you have your harmony and you were to turn back a few pages to page 4 or in 2 Kings chapter 20, we find out some other promises that he made to him. He actually made four, three, three and a half, four. Um, let's say three with two parts on that third. The first promise in 2 Kings chapter 20 and verse 5 was, I will heal thee. Here's the first one. I will heal thee. The second promise is, I will add unto thy days 15 years. So there's one promise, two parts. I'm going to heal you, and I'm going to add to your years 15 years. And three, I will deliver thee and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And part two of that, I will defend this city for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. So, four promises. Two big ones, with two, each with two parts. I'm going to heal you, and I'm going to give you 15 years. I'm going to deliver you out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I'm going to defend this city, the city of Jerusalem. Now, we read that, and it means about that much to us. None of you have any idea when you hear the name King of Assyria as to how scary he was. Now, some of you do because you've read about it, but really, you probably have no idea how really scary this is. I mean, Assyria is just mean, 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 mean. Assyria is like superpower. And nobody's winning. Assyria has already carried away the northern kingdom, destroyed Samaria. Do we have that? Oh, let's see. Oh, good. Thank you, Ethan. And so, if we look at our timeline as to where we're at here in this time, here we have Hezekiah. Hezekiah, and you see here in 722 BC, Israel, the northern kingdom, has fallen. And now these promises have come to Hezekiah. If we look here and zoom in on the reign of Hezekiah and see how things play out, you remember we have his birth back here, and then he began to reign, and here is when he had his sickness and was promised 15 more years. And the events we're going to learn about mostly today come here. But Assyria doesn't just show up here in 709 BC. They've been causing trouble for years, for generations. It's interesting here, it's actually really beautiful that many times in the scriptures, God names different kings and different people. But in this particular promise, he specifically says the king of Assyria. And that may not mean a lot to us when we first read it, but when you actually go study Assyrian chronology and you learn about the different kings, you know, we learned a lot about Tiglath-Pileser. At this time, Tiglath-Pileser has been long gone. I shouldn't say long gone, but he's gone. And there have been a succession of kings that have come. And so the very fact that God uses this generic promise is actually a really big deal because God has defended Jerusalem not just from a king of Assyria, but from a king of Assyria from different generations. And he's going to keep on doing so. And so we see these promises. Now, I start here in this review with these promises because that's what we need to know, because if we jumped right in today and we saw what Hezekiah was doing and how he was behaving, we might be like, hmm, Hezekiah, you sure are presumptuous. Do you know what presumptuous means? Presumptuous means that we presume something. You probably don't know what that means either. Presumptuous means that we presume. That means we think we know something 
And we do things because we think what we know is right. And it may or may not be right. So we think we know something that may or may not be right. And we do things very boldly because of the way that we think. And we could be totally wrong. But Hezekiah is not presumptuous in how he behaves himself. He is rather trusting God. He's not presuming upon God. He is trusting God. We need to learn that very important lesson because sometimes we think we know things about God and how God wants us to do things, and we do these things, and so sometimes we are doing exactly opposite what he has told us to do. And so we ought not to be presumptuous and thinking we know best, but we should be trusting in knowing and finding out what God has said and doing what he has said. Hezekiah. You remember, he has already, in some ways, brought about great reform and revival in the kingdom, calling the people back to worship God. You remember that he himself was working in the public reading of Scripture and the teaching of the Scriptures. In fact, he was one who was helping to make sure the Scriptures were being published, he and his men. But you remember he also fell sick. And you remember there that Isaiah came to him and told him he would die, but then he prayed, and Isaiah had to turn around and come back to him, and Isaiah made these promises we just learned about and also gave him the sign of the shadow moving 10 degrees back on the sundial. And then after this, you remember that the Babylonians, by the way, the Babylonians about this time, came to Israel because they'd heard of the great wonder done in the land. We talked about that before, what the wonder was. Really, the wonder was Jehovah. And they come to the land to, to seek it, and Hezekiah shows them all the treasuries, doesn't he? Now, this is interesting as we look about now, as we transition to Assyria. Assyria has already caused a whole lot of trouble in Babylon a whole lot of trouble. And we think of Babylon, most of the time, of a period of history that's not yet come, that's later than this time, when we think of Babylon as the great, mighty power. That's not Babylon yet. Babylon's a small little country. In fact, in some ways, Hezekiah, I shouldn't say in some ways, in all ways, Hezekiah, because of his God, is far greater than Babylon. Babylon. And in all of this treasures, he's showing off his treasures to these princes of Babylon. Well, a king of Assyria has been causing a whole lot of trouble, and it's a threat to Judah, and Hezekiah knows it. And so, in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, we find Hezekiah making some plans. And here, Elijah's going to be Hezekiah. And um, did you not get a mic yet? Where is your mic? Yes, but where is the mic? There we go. Here's Hezekiah. So you get your crown, and you get your robe on, and he has some princes. Who wants to be his princess? Did you pick some princes out already? Micaiah is one prince, okay. Who's another prince? William, come on, you're another prince, and I need a third one. Nathan. Nathan. All right. You guys are the princes of Judah. You get to wear these fancy scarves, right? One of you gets a reading part. Who wants to do the reading part? Any volunteers? You're going to be the red guy when we get there. One little line. So here we have Hezekiah and three of his princes. They look like a great lot, don't they? You know Hezekiah. You know that Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, is going to be causing trouble, don't you? So you guys going to do anything about it? Hmm. Hezekiah has a plan. And if you're looking there in your Bibles, it's in 2 Chronicles 32, beginning in verse 2, we read this. 
And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib was come and that he was purposed to fight against Jerusalem, he took counsel with his princes and his mighty men to stop the waters of the fountains which were without the city. And they did help him. So there was gathered much people together who stopped all the fountains and the brook that ran through the midst of the land, saying, Why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? Think about it. If you're the king of Assyria, if you're Sennacherib marching with a great host, what's one of the most basic things we all need and we all take for granted in modern America? Water! Water! We take it for granted. It, you know, it's a big deal to get water, especially in a land like Israel where there's so much rock. You don't just go out and dig. Well, sometimes you do, and they did. But you don't just go out and dig. You go out and you chisel and you carve down through the rock to find water. Well, there were certain places where there were these springs. So Hezekiah goes outside the city of Jerusalem and he stops up all these springs, blocks them up, buries them, so that the king of Assyria won't have water for his troops. But he goes beyond and he does something else very interesting. Here we see something called Hezekiah's tunnel. Oh, this is incredible. You see, outside the city wall, there was a spring, the Gihon Spring. And so he took, and you see here, this area of the city up here. There's the temple up there. Here you see the city coming down. This is part of the city of David in this area. And the Pool of Shalom is down here. Well, outside, kind of really, you could see the city walls didn't all come out to this area. But outside this area here, in the Kidron Valley, there was this spring. And Hezekiah and his men had stopped up all the springs, but this one they had taken and repositioned it. They actually extended the city walls out to loop around it, to protect it. And then they took it and they actually carved a tunnel for those waters to flow underneath the city of Jerusalem down through to the pool of Shalom. You know that pool, right? Way down at the bottom of the city of David the hill, the hill of Jerusalem, Mount Zion. And you can see he carved this tunnel. It's an amazing tunnel. This afternoon, I'm going to show you some more, and we're going to talk some more about some of the amazing things about this tunnel and some of the amazing things about Hezekiah and the archaeology we've learned about him and Sennacherib and others. But he dug this tunnel so that, that outside the city, the king enemy wouldn't have water, but inside the city, they would have plenty of water and never run out. And they did this because Sennacherib, if you can see over here, this is the Mediterranean Sea on the side of the line. Here you can see the Sea of Galilee, the Salt Sea, Jerusalem here. And then we see a town down here called Lachish. And Sennacherib, he's over here in Assyria. He marches over and he comes down along the coast and he comes to Lachish with his goal of coming to Jerusalem. We're going to learn some more about that battle at Lachish also this afternoon. But it's fascinating as all of this is taking place and the drama is building. It's likely that he began to build that tunnel in Jerusalem a few years before because it didn't just happen overnight. And so that's the plan to try to cause trouble for the king of Assyria. And so Sennacherib, the great king of Assyria, is warring against one of the towns of Judah. Now, some people have read about this town of Judah, Lachish, and about its destruction, and about, oh, about 45 other cities in Judah that Sennacherib destroyed and said, ah, oh, see, God doesn't really keep his promises that he made through Isaiah to Hezekiah. Look at all of this. Look at all of this destruction that happened in Judah. That's why it's interesting if you actually go back and read the promises you will find that the promises were guaranteed for Jerusalem and Hezekiah himself. And so, no, it's not that God broke his promise. God didn't make a promise to all of Judah. He made the promise to Jerusalem. 
Now, I'm telling you all ahead this, but how do you know it's all going to happen that way? Because Sennacherib has already destroyed 40-plus cities of Judah, and he's now at Lachish. And it's promising that he's going to destroy Lachish. You all know all of this. You know it. So what's going to happen here? Well, verse 5, 2 Chronicles 32, 5, also he strengthened himself and he built up all the wall that was broken and raised it up to the towers and another wall without. And he repaid Milo in the city of David and made darts and shields in abundance. He set captains of war over the people and gathered them together to him in the street of the gate of the city. He gathered all the people together. And it says that he spake comfortably to them. And you might say, what? This doesn't sound like a time to speak comforting words. This is a scary time. Well, that's exactly why we need comforting words. And so, all everybody's gathered together, and Hezekiah, he speaks to the princes, to the soldiers, to all the people. And now keep in mind, Jerusalem at this time also was swelling with refugees, all these other towns and villages that have been destroyed by Sennacherib, those who survived have come to Jerusalem. And so here, they're at the last stronghold. And it's here that he speaks comfortably to them, saying, Be strong and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, for nor for all the multitude that is with him. For there be more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, the king of Judah. Mm. Did you hear the promise? Did you hear what the comforting words were? Be strong and courageous. All of these soldiers, this army, this great host, are you crazy? How can we be strong and courageous? All we're doing is hiding. He says to them, do not be afraid or dismayed. What? He's the scariest thing we've ever seen in our lives. And what his army is doing. I mean, imagine you were one of those refugees who fled, knowing that some of your own family and neighbors had been hooked with fish hooks and dragged out of their homes. That's what the Assyrians were doing. And yet, we're not supposed to be afraid of him? And then he says not to be afraid of the multitude. Wait a minute. Sennacherib has hundreds of thousands of soldiers. And here, he's saying we have more than them. Now, we don't know the, all the populations, but when it comes to um, numbers, it's, it's very likely here that there were maybe more people in Jerusalem but not more soldiers. In fact, actually looking at how Hezekiah is speaking to them, we can kind of assume that's what's going on. That's why he's saying it. They don't see what this is. But look at verse 8 is the key. For he declares to them that he has the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. Here is the promise. Rely on this promise. Be comforted in this promise. Rest in this promise. You know, I find so many times in my life that there are things that trouble me, frustrate me, discourage me, keep me from rest. And sometimes it is simply because I don't trust God. Rest comes by trusting God. That's what Hezekiah is calling upon the people to do here in this place. And so here we are in Jerusalem. Now, you guys, you're going to go up on the wall. Can you go up over there? You're going to go up on the wall because there's someone here to see you. You guys go there. Who comes to Jerusalem? Well, Sennacherib doesn't come. Hmm. You see, he's going to fight a war more than just with weapons and soldiers. He is going to fight a psychological battle against Jerusalem. And so he sends one of his scariest generals to Jerusalem. 
Turn with me now to 2 Kings chapter 18, and we're going to look in verse 17. For it tells us that the king of Assyria sent Tartan and Rabashirs and Rabshakeh from Lachish to King Hezekiah with a great host against Jerusalem. And so here's one of those generals, and he's got a whole host with them. Now, yeah, I know you only see one guy, but he's got three prominent generals with him, and he's got a great host with him. And here you guys are. See those guys up on the wall? Those princes of Judah? They've come out to see what's going on. And imagine you're with them in the city. But, but you're not sitting out here in the open. You're all hiding behind the cracks and the crevices of that wall, peeking out at this army, scared to death of them. Well, it tells us that they went up and came to Jerusalem. And when they were come up, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is in the highway of the fuller's field. And when they had called to the king, there came out to them Alcain, the son of Hilkiah, which was over the household, and Shebna, the scribe, and Jehoah, the son of Asaph, the recorder. Princes of the king come out. Hezekiah doesn't. And so when these men come out, this general here, ah, he's got the speech for them. Speaking now, Hezekiah, thus saith the great king, the king of Assyria, what confidence is this wherein thou trustest? Thou sayest, but they are but vain words. I have counsel and strength for the war. Now on whom dost thou trust that thou rebellest against me? Now, behold, thou trustest upon the staff of this bruised reeve, even upon Egypt, on which the man lean, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, unto all that trust on him. But if ye say unto me, We trust in the Lord our God, is not that he whose high places, whose altars Hezekiah hath taken away, and hath said to Judah and Jerusalem, Ye shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Now therefore, I pray thee, give pledges to my Lord the king of Assyria, and I will deliver thee two thousand horses, if thou be able on thy part to set riders upon them, how then wilt thou turn away the face of one captain of the least of my master's servants and put thy trust on Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? Am I now come up without the Lord against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Know ye not what I and my fathers have done unto all the people of other lands? Were the gods of the nations of those lands any way able to deliver their lands out of mine hand? Who was there among all the gods of those nations that my father utterly destroyed that could deliver his people out of mine hand? That your God should be able to deliver you out of mine hand. Now, therefore, let Hezekiah deceive you nor persuade you on this manner. Neither yet believe him. For no god of any nation or kingdom was able to deliver his people out of mine hand and out of the hand of my fathers. How much less shall your God deliver you out of mine hand? Oh! Oh, he's not done, just so you know. Here we hear his speech from 2 Kings 18 and also 2 Chronicles 13. And again, he's not done. But do you see some of the things he asked and some of the questions he made and some of the blasphemies he cried out? Ah, mark some of them. Here, here he says to them, who do you trust in? Now, it's interesting He's convinced that there are alliance with Egypt, and that may not be false. 
There's no record of it specifically in the biblical record other than what he's made. But Isaiah is pretty clear about a warning of this. It was pretty assumed that that's what Israel would do, Judah would do, is they would make an alliance with Egypt. And here he is saying, why would you trust in Egypt? Egypt is like a broken reed. Now, just to give you a little hint about something here about this general, he seems to know an awful lot about Jehovah. In fact, as we read and read and reread, he keeps invoking Jehovah over and over and over. You know, I highly suspect that either spies in the land of Judah have sent messengers back to Sennacherib and to his generals, back to Assyria, recording things that Isaiah has been talking about. You know, he's not the first one to talk about Egypt as a bruised reed. He is literally quoting Isaiah to them. He's using their own prophet to tell them, why, Egypt, it's just like a bruised reed. You trust on him. You lean upon him as a staff, and you know what it's going to do? It's just going to poke right through you and hurt you. That's exactly what Isaiah said. <laughs> and he's copying it. Except for the fact he doesn't really believe. He, only, he, he, he does what a lot of people do with the Bible even today. He picks little parts he agrees with. And then he either ignores or blasphemes the part he doesn't like. Like the Lord hasn't sent him up, as he said there, to destroy Jerusalem. But it is interesting that he uses the word land. And that is interesting because God did say he was going to use the arm of Assyria to judge Israel. But not Jerusalem. He's, he, he tends to forget about that. He tells them, why are you trusting in the Lord? Now, that's interesting because he's appealing to the people right now. He's not, he's not talking to these three guys, and he's really not wanting the message to get back to Hezekiah. Who he really wants to hear is all you common folk, all you refugees, all you people who just within the last few had been worshiping idols and gods all over the land and calling them Jehovah. And so you know what he says? I'm the real guy who's serving Jehovah, and Jehovah has sent me to cause trouble here because you are following Hezekiah, who has totally ruined your Jehovah worship. And that's literally what he's saying. So we're looking and we're reading about Hezekiah, who's breaking down the altars all through Judah, these pagan altars that they were calling the worship of Jehovah. And Hezekiah has broken them up, and he's called the people back to a real, true worship of Jehovah. Well, but Rabshakeh, he says, oh, no, 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 no. What you guys had before Hezekiah came along was actually what was real. That was the real worship of Jehovah. And Hezekiah, he's just making up his own thing for you all and stuffing it down your throats. If you let, follow us, we're going to let you, you know, serve the way you want to worship your gods, which was actually a very interesting philosophy of the Assyrians because they did do that. That's what actually is going on up in Samaria right now, is they're inventing their own new worship of Jehovah. And so here he is appealing to all the common folk there. Listen, listen, this is what we're going to have. Oh, and did you see what else he also promised here? He says, you come out and you pledge allegiance to Sennacherib. Did you see that? You pledge. You give pledges to Sennacherib, and I'm going to give you 2,000 horses. Now, horses in this time period weren't for racing or fun things like that, or even agriculture. Horses were war machines. They were for fighting wars. And he's telling them, he's promising them, he promises them 2,000 horses if they will come out and pledge allegiance to Assyria. You know what they, why they need 2,000 horses? He's basically bribing them to rebel against Hezekiah, and he's saying, you pledge allegiance to the king of Assyria, and we will arm you in your rebellion against your king. Just so you know, this was an empty promise. This is, this is not the way the Assyrians did things. They made promises like this, and as soon as they opened the gates, they massacred him. But he still makes these promises. And he's attacking Hezekiah, saying, he's the one deceiving you. He's the one deceiving you. Why would you trust him? Why would you believe in him? 
And, but if you are trusting in the Lord, the God of Hezekiah, I mean, who is he? Have you been paying attention to history lately? Me, my fathers? Every kingdom we come to, every one of them, we squish. And it doesn't matter how good, how great their gods are, we got them. How much better is your God? You think your God's better than all the other gods of the lands? This general, he, he's causing a lot of trouble. And we sit back and you all sit here in perfect peace hearing this account. And it probably doesn't move you at all. Hmm. Imagine you were one of those refugees in Jerusalem hiding behind that bulwark, hiding behind that little part of the wall. Oh. In 2 Chronicles 32, it says, And his servant spake yet more against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. Then they cried with a loud voice in the Jews' speech and unto the people of Jerusalem that were on the wall to affright them and to trouble them that they might take the city. It was a psychological battle taking place. And they spake against the God of Jerusalem as against the gods of the people of the earth which were the work of men's hands. See, there's a difference between the true God and the gods of the earth, which are but works of men's hands. Well, in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 26, these princes up here, Eliakim, the son of Hilkan, Sheba, and Jonah, they spoke unto Rabshakeh. Speak, I pray, I pray thee to thy servants in the... Syrian language, for we understand it, and talk not with the Jews' language in the ears of the people that are on the wall. Mm, did you hear that? They said, we, these, these educated princes, we know the Syrian language. Speak to us in the Syrian tongue. We understand you. We'll get your message back to the king. Don't speak in the Jews' language, not in Hebrew. Why do they say that? Well, the reason they say that is because they know that as the Jews in the city of Jerusalem hear this man speak, they may agree with him. And so they'd rather they not even understand this guy. This guy just speaking gibberish outside the wall is what they'd rather they hear. Oh. So their answer was, Speak, I pray thee, to thy servants in the Syrian language. For we understand it and talk not with us in the Jews' language in the ears of the people that are on the wall. My master, send me to thy master and to thee to speak these words. Hath he not sent me to the men which sit on the wall that they may eat their own dung and drink their own piss with you? So he cried with a loud voice in the Jews' language. And Hear faith. the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus saith the king, let not Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you out of his hand. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, the Lord will surely deliver us, and the city shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. Hearken not to Hezekiah. For thus saith the king of Assyria, Make an arrangement with me by a present, and come out to me, and then eat ye every man of his own vine, and every one of his fig tree, and drink ye every one the waters of his cistern, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land. A land of corn and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive oil, of oil, olive, and of honey, that ye may live and not die. And hearken not unto Hezekiah when he persuaded you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Hath any of the gods of the nations delivered at all his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods? Of Hamath and of Arpad, where are the gods of Sephirim, Hena, and Iva? Have they delivered Samaria out of mine hand? Who are they among all the gods of the countries that have delivered their country out of mine hand? 
that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of mine hand. But the people held their peace and answered him not a word, for the king's commandment was saying, Answer him not. Then came Achaim, the son of Hilkah, which was over his household, and Sheba the scribe, and Joe the son of Asaph the recorder, to Hezekiah with their clothes rent and told him the words of Rabshakeh. I like to comment as they're on their way back to the king a few things of what this general has said. You know, I told you a moment ago, it seems that they, uh, he seemed to have had some uh, inside information. All through this speech, he's referring to promises God has made to Israel through Isaiah that the Messiah would fulfill, and Rabshakeh is declaring Sennacherib as their Messiah. Can you believe that? I'll tell you, some in that city of Jerusalem were tempted to believe it. I mean, he literally uses direct quotes of specific promises that God has made to Israel regarding the Messiah. And he attributes them as what Sennacherib would give them. Oh, yes, look here. You'll have a land of corn and wine, the land of bread and vineyards, a land of oil, olive, and of honey. Oh, did you catch this one here? Everyone, he'll eat of his own vine, and everyone drink of his fig, eat of his fig tree and drink every one waters out of his cistern. Those are the very promises that God has made to Israel. And now he's making these promises saying, you want these promises you've been hearing about? All these promises everybody's talking about in Jerusalem from Isaiah? <laughs> Snack ribs, your man. Come pledge to him. Give him gifts. It's also interesting because Isaiah spoke of giving gifts to Messiah as well. Oh, that's dreadful here. Dreadful. This situation is horrific, isn't it? They didn't tear their garments. Don't, don't tear your garments. The real princes tore their garments, which in that time of history was a sign of horror and dread and terror. They give these message, these words to Hezekiah. And it came to pass when Hezekiah heard it that he rent his clothes and covered himself with sack. Sackcloth is very uncomfortable clothes. It's what they make to carry potatoes in. Sackcloth. And you know where he went? He went into the house of the Lord, and he sent these three princes, them too covered with sackcloth, to Isaiah, the son of Amos. You see, he goes to the house of the Lord and he sends you guys to go find Isaiah. You guys go back to your seats. Here is the message he sends to Isaiah. Thus saith Hezekiah, this day is a day of trouble and of rebuke and blasphemy. For the children are come to the birth, and there is not strength to bring forth. It may be the Lord thy God will hear all the words of Rabshakeh, whom the king of Assyria, his master, hath sent to reproach the living God, and will reprove the words which the Lord thy God hath heard. Wherefore, lift up thy prayer for the remnant that are left. Oh. The situation's not good, and Hezekiah knows it. 
but he calls to Isaiah to come pray with him that the living God will hear. Do you see how he describes the trouble? It's as if the day of delivery, childbirth has come, but the mother doesn't have the strength to deliver. Do you know what happens when that happens? Nowadays, they do an emergency C-section. You know what they used to do back then? The mommy and the baby died. This is the situation. It's critical. It's urgent. It's a crisis. Notice, though, that he acknowledges that Jehovah is not like the other gods made with hands. For what does he call the Lord God? The living God. He calls to Isaiah the one who made the promise in the name of the Lord that the king of Assyria would not take this city. And that the Lord, the Jehovah, would defend this city for the sake of David, his servant. Well, Isaiah he came to Hezekiah there in that temple Thus saith the Lord Be not afraid of the words which thou hast heard, which with the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will send a blast upon him, and he shall hear a rumor, and shall return to his own land. And I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. This is the message sent to Hezekiah. Well, what's going on? Well, Rabshakeh goes back to Lachish. Why? Well, the king of Assyria was warring in Libna, and um, for he had heard that he was departed from Lachish. Well, what's going on here? Well, <laughs> battles and campaigns aren't all just fought in one place. And so Rabshakeh he actually has to leave Jerusalem, taking his host back, because what's going on in Lachish and in other parts of the Judea is a problem. And there's a lot more detail here that we could learn from Assyrian history. But is Sennacherib done with Jerusalem? Rabshakeh, poof, he's gone. He's out of there. Back to help his king, fighting enough different city that's causing trouble. But is it the end? Oh, no. It's not the end. For you know what Sennacherib, king of Assyria, does now? Hmm. He decides to continue the psychological war by sending letters to Hezekiah. Anybody want to deliver this to his majesty? Michael, how about you all? You're coming from Sennacherib. Sennacherib's written a letter to Hezekiah. Bring it to him. Thank you, Owen. Now I wonder what's in that letter. You see his face? Doesn't look like it's good news. You think it's an apology letter? Look at Hezekiah. He's horrified. What in the world does this letter say? What's in this letter? 
You'll have to come back next week to find out. Or better yet, not while Pastor Virgil's preaching, but read ahead. Read ahead. Find out what's in this letter that Sennacherib sent to Hezekiah. What's going to happen? And do something for me. I know it's very hard. Forget what you know. Just know this, that nobody has won fighting against Sennacherib. Nobody. So why should things be different for Jerusalem? No, <laughs> yeah. Well, I was just going to go on and say, forget everything you know. Forget, too, that you know. I don't mean to forget forever, but just to understand the story, the history. Forget that you know that Jehovah keeps his promises. I know some of you don't even know what's going to happen. You have no idea what's going to happen. But you've heard the promises of Jehovah, so you do know what's going to happen. Right? Or is it? See how often we sometimes hear and read of things that God has said and God has promised, and we go, oh, I got a better way. Or, oh, I don't think it's really saying that. Or, I don't think it really means that. People play games with what God has said, what God has promised. Let's be careful. God keeps his promises, and he is one in whom we can trust. Will the people of Jerusalem trust? Or will they, in the barrage of harassment, fling open those gates, come out and pledge allegiance to Sennacherib, get those 2,000 horses, is that what it was, and rebel against their king? What are they going to do? Looking at Hezekiah's face up there when he read that letter, it doesn't look good. Great God, we commit ourselves to you and thank you for your goodness and we praise you that you keep your promises, that you keep your word, that you are always faithful. May we rest and hope in you always. We pray in your name. Amen.